What you doing? I'm running out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. What's up, Doll fans, and welcome in to a bonus edition, a Friday the 13th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And if you can't tell already, this is going to be a different format for today. Not going to get into all the reads or all of the uh, reminders and all that stuff. Just want to get straight to football because this is a bonus episode outside of the contractual obligation with of the program here on the Locked On Sports Network. And just wanted to give you guys uh, something different for the week. Just kind of spark you up for the Friday. Get you ready for Sunday's game in Atlanta, Miami Dolphins at 1 o'clock Eastern at the Mercedes-Benz Dome in Atlanta, Georgia. And the Dolphins uh, looking to get their third win of the season. But we already talked about that game and previewed it with Aaron Freeman of the Lockdown Falcons podcast at Falc Fans. Of course, this is Travis Wingfield with you guys at Wingfield NFL. And today's show, I'm going to be bringing on a guest a very well-respected name in the football community and the football writer slash analyst community, Ian Wharton of Bleacher Report. And I'll get Ian on here in just a few minutes, but first I wanted to touch on an article that I wrote last night for the 3rd10.com, my personal website, about Jay Cutler and the rest of the quarterbacks in the NFL and kind of what this new era of football looks like in the NFL as well as the college game. And a lot of folks want to blame the offensive production or lack thereof on the offensive line. And they're saying that this offensive line is the cause of all concern for the Dolphins and the reason that the offense can't function. But my theory was that if you look around the rest of the league, there's a lot of offensive lines that are struggling to get pass protection figured out, get the running game figured out. And there are quarterbacks that are dealing with worse offensive lines that are having fine seasons and are keeping their teams in games and moving the football. And obviously some of those quarterbacks are elite quarterbacks like Tom Brady or Russell Wilson. But then you turn the tape on of someone like Case Keenum, a well-traveled veteran who has been on five teams in six years, and he's dealing with bad protection at times, and he can step up and make a couple of plays. And my whole entire thesis behind this is that, yeah, there are plays where Jay Cutler doesn't have a chance to make a play. The play is doomed from the start. The pressure gets there too quickly. He can't get the football off in time, or the receivers aren't uncovering. And I'll be the first to admit that happens more than it should for the Dolphins. However... There are plays where Jay Cutler has a chance to make a play, and he's blowing it. Like the interception, for instance, in the game against the Titans, there was no reason to duck into the pressure the way he did. There was a huge room to run, and he just 
fell into the pressure and then threw up a prayer and it got picked off. It's plays like that. They're going to kill this offense beyond what's already making a struggle. And if your offense is scoring 10 points per game, of course, blame can go all around, but that has to start with the quarterback because he's has to be the one that bails you out when things aren't going well and makes a couple of plays, extends plays, gets out of the pocket and gets away from pressure and, you know, makes something happen. And he did that in the second half of the chargers game in week one, but that was the only good half he had all year. Otherwise it's been, Three and outs, throwing the ball in the dirt, you know, throwing on the run, not setting his feet, and, and missing his targets. And on the article you see that on thirdand10.com, you can find it for yourselves. He has a couple of plays where he just, it's lazy mechanics and it's a lack of ability to stand in the pocket or lack of desire to stand in the pocket and throw under pressure and take a hit. And it's just, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And I think it's convenient to make an excuse for the offensive line. And everyone seems to be saying that that's the problem when. Ryan Tannehill never got those same excuses last year, despite having the exact same line. The only difference is Brandon Albert and Anthony Steen have basically swapped at one position, and then Larry Tunzel kicks out to left tackle. But needless to say, Brandon Albert was way past his prime last year. He was hurt for like he always was half the time. And when he was playing, he wasn't an effective player anyway. He was just coasting off of his big name from that point. So the personnel is the same. The main change is the quarterback. Jay Cutler's not getting it done. And let's go ahead and bring him on, our guest, Ian Wharton. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. And I'm thrilled to introduce now to you guys Ian Warden. Ian is a Bleacher Report analyst for NFL 1000. You can find him on Twitter at NFL Film Study. Ian, thanks for coming on the show, man. Hey, it's my pleasure, man. I was really excited that you uh, you offered for me to come on. And the Dolphins have definitely gone through a crazy season already, and uh, we're, we're pretty early on. So I, uh, I definitely like talking about the team and and uh, looking forward to kind of hashing out some of their issues so far. Yeah, and if you guys didn't know, Ian does a lot of good work with Bleacher Report for the draft, for, with quarterbacks, with a lot of secondary work, too. He, he's really good with cornerbacks, and you have a cornerback a uh, literature coming out soon. Is that out yet? Um, it's not out yet. It's probably going to be end of January time frame. Okay. Um, but I am collecting it on a weekly basis, and then it just it's a little bit difficult with these Thursday night games too. It's a quick turnaround. Absolutely. Usually I'm done charting by like Thursday morning and then all of a sudden we have a Thursday night game too. So I don't get too much of a break in between, but but uh, what I'm collecting is really really good information. I'm really looking at man coverage especially for wide receiver uh, for cornerbacks and and uh, kind of giving some context to to cornerback performance which I think that we're really lacking um, as a as a football community. Yeah, all you really have to go off of is the, you know, targets, catches, pass rating, all that stuff, all the, you know, the raw data and the raw volume numbers that you get. But, you know, I don't really buy into stats too much across across the board of the NFL. So I'm looking forward to that. I'll definitely get that. And we'll, uh, we'll let, let us know where, that, where we can find that at the end of the show. And we'll get to the cornerbacks and everything here in a minute. But first, I wanted to ask Ian about the most polarizing figure in Miami at this moment. And I thought Ryan Tannehill was the most polarizing figure in Dolphins history. But come to find out that Jay Cutler is causing an equal divide among Dolphins fans. And, uh, you know, you wrote something this summer talking about how 
when Jay Cutler was teamed up with Adam Gaze back in 2015 in Chicago, that Gaze really reined Cutler in. You know, he kind of has that gunslinger mentality. Everyone knows about Jay Cutler, don't care. But you wrote a thing about talking about how he really reined him in and, and had him playing more of a safe game manager style of football. Now, I want to ask you what you saw there and how you see it translating to the Dolphins in 2017. Yeah, so I went back, like you mentioned, I went back and charted every pass of his just to try to get some context because it's really easy, I think, to to just watch someone play and then certain plays are going to stick out in your mind. And this is especially for, like, college quarterbacks too. Like, we may watch uh, three or four or five, six games of a guy and maybe it's just one or two big plays either negatively or positively that really stick with us and it kind of becomes a little bit of a stigma in our mind that says like oh this guy can't do this even though we only saw him do it maybe one or two times that he failed or maybe he he consistently does this uh whatever it may be but he only did it again a small amount of times so i i wanted to try to get rid of my own bias and get rid of um my own uh kind of fault and a little bit of the problem with just um, film study in general. Uh, I think that we can kind of confirm our own biases entering it. And so, and I'm not saying this is a perfect method, but at least by charting it and by saying, okay, breaking it down from passes behind the line of scrimmage from zero to 10 yards, uh, from 11 to 19 yards, and then 20 yards and deeper. And then also looking at um, situational football. So third and fourth downs, and also how they perform when they're pressured. Um, so all this is just tr- trying to say, uh, I'm just watching the games, taking note of how accurate these quarterbacks are. Um, and by accurate, I think reasonably catchable. So like a guy that has to dive to catch the football, to me is not an accurate pass. Like that's It took extraordinary effort on the receiver's part. Um, if it's a tipped pass by a defender and it ends up in the receiver's hands, um, I think that's an inaccurate pass, even if it ends up being a touchdown. So just for some context there. Um, so when I went back to watch the Bears offense, I was really surprised at how uh, conservative the offense was. We saw a lot of screens with Cutler. Um, 71% of his passes were 10 yards or under, um, which I was talking to Kean Fahey um, of now of ESPN, and he was telling me how that would have ranked in the bottom four uh, among quarterbacks in 2015 as far as being aggressive downfield. Uh, so he was really not the guy that we've kind of expected him to be, especially when the Dolphins signed him. I think the public really embraced and really expected this guy to be like, okay, we're going to be going downfield constantly. This is a really good downfield thrower. Um, but he's really not, though. He was actually pretty inaccurate deep, even in 2015. 60 attempts past 20 yards. He was only accurate on 22 of those, which is 36%. That's well below average if you compare that to Ryan Tannehill. And I don't want it to be a Tannehill versus Cutler thing, but just for context of Gase's offense, uh, Tannehill actually threw downfield a little bit more often, and he was much more accurate. He was accurate on over 50% of his passes. Um, So I think that the expectation level for Cutler was different. Um, Now, there were some positives for Cutler, too. He's very accurate on intermediate throws um, and on short throws as well. So he's, he's kind of like the anti of what he was billed to be under under uh, Gase in 2015. Uh, but in a sense, though, what that tried to do is it tried to limit his mistakes, limit the interceptions, and take some of the responsibility off of his shoulders, in part because Chicago's surrounding cast was pretty bad and they were banged up. Um, and also, they didn't have a terrific running game that year with Matt Forte. Uh, Forte was a good player at that point, but their running game had kind of suffered as the offensive line got banged up and also as the receivers got banged up. So it, there was a little bit... Um, I think to that context that maybe pointed towards uh, 
reasons for optimism coming to Miami. A lot of a big deal was made of uh, the receivers being a much better situation. Although I think Cutler's had better receivers at other points uh, before 2015. Um, but it is interesting though now with Gase. I mentioned 71% of his throws were 10 yards or under, and that includes screens behind the line of scrimmage. So I, I charted his entire season this morning just to, again, to kind of compare those numbers. It's actually the exact same percent. 71% of his passes this year, 126 passes that were non-throwaways, 71% uh, of those passes have been uh, behind 10 yards, 10 yards or under. So, again, a very conservative number. Um, he's been very inaccurate going deep. Actually, two of his deep balls came in the same game uh, early on. It was the first game of the year, actually, against the Chargers. And since then, it's kind of been a downhill spiral for him and the offense. It's not just been him. Uh, but in general, they've they've really struggled, um, in part because of Cutler, also in part because of the offensive line. But he's been accurate on just three of 17 passes tw past 20 yards. So I think that's been a, a real eyesore. And a lot of that production, the good plays of those three, two of those came on scrambles outside of the pocket. So kind of when he gets to use his athleticism and gets on the move and plays a little bit looser outside of the pocket, he's been better. And that actually continues as I looked down to intermediate and even short passing. He's just a better player when he's kind of improvising um, as opposed to when he's playing in structure. And a lot of people talk about, well, he throws off his back foot and he's relying on his arm. And that's precisely why he's better improvising because he's playing a little bit looser. And usually there's a bigger margin for error because the receivers aren't necessarily playing on timing routes, um, which we've seen a major issue, with, especially in like the Jets game. Uh, Cutler was really late making reads, late getting the ball out. We saw it a little bit against Tennessee too. And that's a little bit reason why Jarvis Landry looked a little frustrated, I think, is because <laughs> the ball was not coming out on time. So um, but accuracy-wise, though, he's very similar to that 2015 season, um, especially on short passes. He's been accurate on 78% of his throws between 0 and 10 yards, and his accuracy in Chicago 2015 was 79%. So he's been basically the same quarterback. Um, the only difference is on third down, he's been a little bit less effective. Um, he's, been, he's made 34 passes on third down, not including any throwaways. Only 10 of those passes have actually been past the third down marker for a first down. So very conservative. Um, and, and again, that's been less conservative as the games have gone on, which is a little bit peculiar to me. I, I kind of thought it would be opposite. Uh, I thought that first game was actually a little bit promising, more, more promising than not. And since then, it's been getting kind of significantly worse as, as we go on. Yeah, the second half of that Chargers game, he really started to kind of come into his own. And I'm glad you mentioned the Jets game and the Titans game because those are two. There's two plays, one from each of those games that I really singled out when I went back and watched him. And it was a couple of rollout plays. You mentioned his ability to kind of improvise and how he plays a little more loose from that sense. And I agree with that. But there's two throws. One in the Jets game was to Kenny Stills coming across his body, and he it, it skipped in like five yards short. I mean, if he was a pitcher in baseball, it probably would hit the cut of the grass, you know, throwing to to home plate. And then last week against the Titans, that Julius Thomas third and one play was beautifully designed, beautifully set up. They had Thomas split the two defenders, and he was over the top of the defense. And Cutler has all the time in the world to set his feet, and he doesn't do it. And he throws off of a, on the run, and it short hops him. And yeah, he, Thomas probably could have caught the ball for a big first down, but 
if he puts it out there in stride, it's, it might be an easy touchdown. So I thought that was kind of frustrating. And I'm also glad you mentioned the personnel that he had in Chicago. Because when I went back and watched that t- the tape from 2015, I noticed they ran quite a bit of 12 personnel with the two tight ends and the one back. And there was, a lot, like you mentioned, a lot of dink and dunk and a lot of screen game and short stuff. And that's obviously something that Adam Gase has preached a lot in his time since he became the Miami Dolphins head coach was this, this league's play within 10 yards. You know, the pass rush gets home in two, two and a half seconds on, on average. So if the Bears, you know, if their skill set was prohibiting Gaze from calling more of a open offense with Cutler, coming to Miami was supposed to be, you know, personally, myself, and I've read it across plenty of platforms, I thought that this receiving crew, you know, one, one through three, Landry Parker and Stills, was supposed to be one of the best trios in the league, not to mention Jay Ajayi, a guy that from week six on was the best running back in football last year, you know, give or take Le'Veon Bell, but... So my question to you, Ian, is 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 it strictly a Cutler thing that he's doing that, or is it personnel based, or why why handcuff him? And if you are going to handcuff him, why even go out and get him? Yeah, I, you know it's it's tough to answer because I think we've seen a lot of these issues in in years past, and even to the Joe Philbin era, they've never fully fixed the offensive line. Um, they've invested assets into it, but it's just still guys didn't really pan out the way that they were supposed to. And there's still a lot of inconsistency. And I think that the line is still a major problem. I mean, it's still a below average line. It's still one of the worst in the league. I think in terms of consistency, even Jay I mean, he's fantastic and he's doing a lot of the heavy lifting. He's creating a lot of yards after contact. Uh, and so he's really making that line look a little bit better than what they are. And I think that we got used to Ryan Tannehill doing as much as he could to make that line look better than what it was and Cutler's not quite doing them the same amount of favors. Um, and, and I don't know that, I, that we should hold him to that standard because he's 34 and coming off shoulder surgery and, and in a technically a new offense. It's a new environment. It's at least a new team. Um, even if he is familiar with the offense, it's still different pieces around him. Uh, and everyone around him is getting used to the offense, too. I mean, Adam Gase talked about it. They're two years into this offense, and they still have guys um, that have been into that offense that, during that whole time getting the basics wrong. Um, so it's definitely not all on Jay Cutler. Um, I do think he's been a significant part of the problem, though. I talked about his inaccuracy. Defenses aren't really respecting him. Uh, the receivers have to step up, and this was kind of why like, I wasn't fully buying into saying that this was the best surrounding cast that he's had because this team's had a lot of issues with drops and consistency on their own part. I do think that they're getting open, and I think that he's not done a great job of anticipating that and seeing guys open. He's more of a see-it-and-throw-it guy more than an anticipation thrower. Um, they already have 11 drops this season. Now, none of them have really been too crucial, uh, just one drop touchdown and two dropped first downs. But you compare that to Chicago, they had 22 drops all season uh, when he had uh, 461 passing attempts that I charted. So he's only had 126 with the Dolphins, and they're already at 11. And that was an issue under Tannehill, too. So it's it's a, a group that's very talented, and they're really unique as far as uh, what they can throw at a defense um, with, the, with the speed receiver with Kenny Stills, and I think he's a little bit better than that. I think he's more of a well-rounded guy than even he gets credit for. Devontae Parker still kind of finding his footing with his inconsistencies, but we know that he can be tremendously good when he's playing well. And then Jarvis Landry, and we know how good he is. But but those guys are really struggling catching the ball sometimes too. Like I don't know if it's an involvement thing, and they need to be involved early and often to kind of get them warmed up. I do kind of have a theory that receivers play better like that. Um, but they have to step up too. Like they haven't done a great job for him when he has delivered those passes. Really, it was more noticeable, I think, against Tennessee more than anyone else. Uh, 
where there were some really good passes that that Cutler had, and it just the ball fell to the ground. He also had some terrible ones. So it's, it's just the offense keeps shooting themselves in the foot when it's like one player does something well, and then another player messes it up, and and that's just been a I don't know. It's not I don't I wouldn't say a culture thing because it's gone past different front offices and different coaching staffs, but it's just it's a weird problem that mediocre teams tend to have. And this team's kind of fallen into that rut for whatever reason, despite all the talent. Yeah, that's a good point, talking about the drops. And I think it's something that really gets overlooked because it's such a small sample size in comparison to, you know, their catch rate or how many balls they do catch and the big plays they do make. It kind of is something you can gloss over, I suppose, if you're not really tracking it. But you mentioned something about, you know, kind of the timing and rhythm of the offense. And the touchdown on Sunday to Jarvis Landry was a nice little, you know, he sat, in the, sat into the hole in his zone and Cutler stuck it on him. And it, was a, it was a really nice-looking play. And they've tried running those little stick routes or those little uh, hook routes, whatever you call them, and it just seems like it's kind of been, you know, the ball's been off to the side here or there, or it's been late, or it just hasn't really worked out for him. So is is timing, is it something you expect them to, to be able to get better at over the course of the season? And if it doesn't, how long do you give until you make the switch, or are you making the switch at all this year if you're Adam Gaze? So I would have, I, I wouldn't have permanently made the change this past week, but I did comment during the game, I thought after his interception, I thought that it would have been fair to bench him. I, I probably would have benched him for that game, and more so for an accountability standpoint. Um, I wouldn't have continued with Matt Moore as the starter, at least for another week. Um, I, I do think it needs to become, at some point, a, a viable option, though, just because he's not significantly helping the team. And that's the problem. It's like you, you need more from the quarterback position. He hasn't been good enough. And he, he's been put in a little bit of a tough situation because the line has been so poor and the, and the receivers aren't helping him. But it's not like it's been atrocious around him. Like, I think he's exacerbating some of the issues. Um, I do think the timing should improve, but I do hesitate a little bit. Because, like I said, he's never really been the guy to throw ahead of time, uh, throw guys open. He has a good arm, and he will make big plays. But it, they're generally not of that nature um, where he's an anticipatory passer. It's more of a reactionary-based guy. And so sometimes that's going to cost his receivers a little bit. Um, and they're going to have to kind of deal with his um, his improvisation. And I think that that was something frustrating that we kind of saw boil over against Tennessee too. Like even when Jarvis Landry got that, I think it was in the third quarter, he got his first downfield catch. It was like a uh, like eight-yard slant play upfield and it ended up going for like 11 or 12 yards. Like he got up and he did his little first down thing, <laughs> but he just seemed totally like disengaged when he did it. Um, that was really interesting just because his body language has never been that bad, I don't think, um, or if, at least that. If you get that. a chance, Ian, go back and watch his touchdown catch and, and watch. I, I've never seen him so subdued after a, a reception, much less a touchdown catch. He gets up and just kind of slowly walks over and hands the football to a fan. That was pretty uh, eye-opening yeah, to me. actually, no, I noticed that too, and I, I didn't really think much about it, but now that you mention it, it is – it is really interesting. I mean, that was there's a game the Dolphins were winning, and like they were looking yeah. to win. That was the go ahead touchdown. Yeah, yeah. Like it was just it was very bizarre, and I I wonder if the contract situation if that's going to play into it. Barry Jackson, um, who's fantastic, also mentioned that Devontae Parker is going to be looking for a big extension this offseason too. So like you wonder if that sort of stuff is going to creep into it. If that sort of uh, is going to add to any frustration that like. Jarvis Landry was super productive with Ryan Tannehill, and obviously no one can do anything about his injury, but, like, Jay Cutler comes to town, and now he's not as productive. And maybe you say the same, maybe we get to the point that that uh, Parker's going to be the same. We don't know yet. 
Um, I will say that the offense did take a while to get really into a rhythm last year, too. It took five or six weeks, and then we saw improvement. I, I don't know whether it's fair to expect that out of Cutler just because of his age and coming off the arm surgery. His arm is a little bit worse, I think, um, in terms of his arm strength. He's, he's I mean, again, as a 34-year-old, you're not going to see much change, but, like, he has to throw – he has to put more of his body into his throws now, and I think that he's not used to that. Um, you see him throw off his back foot a lot, and that just throws off his his accuracy so much. He can't overcome that as much. So I, I think that I think the timing will improve a little bit, but it's ultimately a little bit um, just hindered by the quality of the quarterback play. It's it, it's not like his upside is that high. His, his upside is kind of average. Um, and not saying he can't play well, and average doesn't mean he can't have big games, but I think game to game and even half to half, you're going to see inconsistencies. Yeah, absolutely. And I was with you on making the switch to Matt Moore within that game just because of how bogged down the offense was. And I know that Adam Gaze really stands by his guys all the time, and it's good to have that quality. But also, like you said, you know, you kind of got to hold guys accountable at the same time. So, uh, but, you know, with Matt Moore's his his injury history and I mean he for whatever reason he has a hard time or he he exposes himself to a lot of big hits we saw the one in Pittsburgh last year and then in Dallas in the preseason he got walloped in that game too so you have to wonder if that factors into the decision to keep going to Jay Cutler and if he will continue to go forward with him with poor play so you know moving on from Jay Cutler now Ian and kind of getting to your wheelhouse here I wanted to talk to you about the cornerbacks in this defense as a whole that I've really had a fun time watching this season. I, I, I predicted this offense to be, you know, with Tannehill, a top 10 group, and then the defense to be one of the worst in the league like it has been for the last couple of years. But, man, they're playing some good football, and I think a lot of that has to do with tackling on the perimeter at the linebacker position and more speed to the defense. And I just wanted to get your take on these top three Dolphins corners. I have three really young guys, Xavier Howard, Cordray Tankersley, and Bobby McCain in their first, second, and third years, respectively. Yeah, it was it was interesting that they went to the to Tankersley so quickly. I was a big fan of his out of Clemson. I thought that they got really with their first three picks. I thought they got really good value with Charles Harris and Raquan McMillan as well. Um, I was a big fan of their their first three picks. And Tankersley is to me a guy that like really represents what they want to become in that secondary. Um, a little bit more versatile, a uh, little bit more capable of being more than just a zone uh, defensive backfield. Um, and I think that Tankers has kind of shown a good presence and a good confidence so far. He's a very fluid athlete. Uh, he can turn and run, which is a little bit different from the other corners that they have in that unit. Um, Xavier Howard, I would say that would probably be his big limitation, is that he's not a great downfield runner. He's not a guy that's going to press at the line and, and necessarily carry receivers upfield too much. He's He's got a little bit of a vulnerability there. He doesn't have great explosion downfield. He's more of the guy that uh, you play him in, like, cover two, whereas he has – uh, safety help over the top. He's going to be very physical at the line of scrimmage. He's going to cover underneath routes pretty well. He's going to tackle extremely well. So when he does give up receptions, he's going to end that play almost guaranteed. Uh, very good strong side corner. Um, even though they have him line up, I believe at left corner every snap. Um, yeah. Looking on the defensive side, so which is good though. Like that's that's a good presence. Like to me, Howard projects really well as a number two corner. Um, an ideal strong side corner because he's so good against the run and he's so aggressive and attacking downhill, but he's, he's not overly aggressive as far as like being reckless too. So I think that that fit, fits him well. I don't know that he's tremendous as like a playmaker in coverage yet. And maybe he gets to that point as he continues to get experience. Um, but I think he's played, I think Howard's played fairly well 
Uh, I'm not extremely bullish on like his his upside, but it's okay. Like he's, I, I kind of compare him to like Brandon Browner. Uh, what Brandon Browner was for both Seattle and and the Patriots, like he was he was a pretty solid player. He's not a guy that you build the defense around, but you like him as a role player and someone that's going to consistently be uh, what they are, and you can kind of count on that and build around that. Um, whereas Tankersley, I think that I think he might have the higher upside just because of the athleticism and a little bit more of just the playmaking aspect as well. Uh, he, he, to me, looks a little bit more natural in man coverage. I think that he's got more experience in it as well coming out of college, and that shows right away for him to be able to claim a starting job over Byron Maxwell. And, I mean, Maxwell, I know he gets a, a ton of, <laughs> uh, of hate online, but, like, Maxwell's really not bad. It's just he's limited as far as his strengths. And I think that his communication breakdowns were something that really wore on the coaching staff and overall what they could do with that secondary is limited with him because I think Maxwell's a good starter in the right scheme, uh, especially as like a number two corner, and Miami needs more, and so they're kind of sacrificing a little bit of his strengths, which is like forcing turnovers, which this defense is really missing right now. They really have to get back to forcing turnovers. Um, That's what kind of overcame their limitations last year as they were making big plays at the right time, and Maxwell was part of that. And so that's going to be a transition for Tankersley is to be more of a playmaker as well. But he, he's got the upside to do that. And I think that he's responded to early playing time uh, really well, uh, considering all things considered for a third-round pick. Um, pro- I would probably say Bobby McCain is probably the guy that I'm least high on. Um, I, I don't think that he's a guy that really makes too many plays in that backfield. And it's, it's really hard. It's really hard as a slot corner to be good in the NFL. Like 95% of slots in the NFL are just guys that are just kind of there, occupying space, um, playing in man coverage occasionally. They don't do too much. They don't move the needle. They don't rock the boat. Um, So when you can find a really good slot, they really stand out. And I don't think that he's one of those guys that really stands out as a unit. I I think he's just kind of a guy, um, more of like a replacement level guy, especially as he's going to be heading to free agency soon. Um, I'm not sure that he's really shown to be special. Um, I don't know that you need a quote-unquote special guy, but I think they probably would like to see more from him. And I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that they didn't try Alteron Werner uh, inside a little bit more in the preseason because I thought that Werner, even though he hadn't played inside too much, I think that skill set-wise, especially being a veteran presence, I think that he'd probably fit a little bit better. But, but, I mean, McCain's there. He doesn't make atrocious mistakes. He doesn't give up plays over the top, which I guess is fine. It's just... I don't really see what he brings too much as far as like being overly positive on him. It's, it's hard for me to point out a lot of positives that he brings consistently. Yeah. I think if there's one area on the defense, you're going to really address this off season because it seems like it, it's lining up to be an off season where they approach the offense heavy, you know, last year was a defensive heavy draft and obviously you go out and you get Will Hayes and TJ McDonald, you make all these upgrades to the defense. I think that that'll probably be one position they might look at, but you know, with you talked about Byron Maxwell and with Tony Lippett coming back off the uh, the Achilles injury or AC, well, I forget what it was, the, whatever the season-ending injury he had with Xavier Howard and, and Cordray Tankerley there, it's it's hard to see Maxwell coming back to this team next year. But speaking of guys coming back to the team, Rashad Jones comes back from an injury and he's off to a slow start. He had a bad preseason and then he really exploded onto the scene last week, played a pretty good game at New Orleans, I thought, and then coming back to to help him in the safety role next to him since Nate Allen has been pretty much a bust of a signing is TJ McDonald. And that'll be in week nine against the Oakland Raiders, I believe. 
And uh, just wanted to kind of ask you what you see from Rashad coming back, if the rust is knocked off now, if it wasn't uh, the shoulder that was kind of causing him some some pause and some second guessing, and also what can we expect when we get when we get TJ McDonald back in the lineup? Yeah, I think I think you've seen Jones get back to a little bit more of what he's used to doing. Um, I I know like after the first couple of weeks when people were asking like is Rashad Jones like done like like what's going on with him and I was just like I was just cautioning like give him some time like this like we don't know exactly how long it's going to take I said give him a month give him six weeks to try to like kind of find not only find his uh, his burst back and his feel for the game but also kind of feel out his role in the defense there's a lot of changed pieces on that defense and on every level and so it, it takes some time to gel. And I think that the last couple of weeks you've really seen that that classic Rashad Jones uh, that we've been used to seeing. And so I'm, I'm really excited to continue to see him. I think he's back to, to the level that we uh, had previously seen. Um, and I do agree, though, too, like the Nate Allen signing, I hated that signing right away. I mean, that was he was a backup on a defense that desperately needs his defensive backs. Like that to me is just and especially to pay him so much like that's this type of stuff that really is franchise changing. Even though yeah. it's only $3 million in the grand scheme of things, it's like, but those decisions add up. And when yes. you're constantly losing $3 million here and there, um, like they did on some of the other contracts that they gave out, it's like that's the difference between signing a really good guard and having all that extra money wrapped up into below-average players. So, um, I mean, Allen honestly can't get out of the lineup soon enough. I, I don't see I – mean, he's really not done anything positive outside of, like, I think two pass breakups or something like that. So he's been pretty, pretty bad next to – Jones and so it's it's impressive that Jones has kind of started to hit his stride back um, next to Allen and then I think once McDonald comes back if, and again it might be a little bit of an adjustment for him too for the same reasons that Jones is new unit and he hasn't played in you know now quite a while uh, by the time he gets back so uh, but I'm pretty optimistic on him he was a solid player for the Rams uh, he can play in the box he can play up high a little bit he's not going to be that super ball hawk rangy guy um, but he's going to be better than what Nate Allen is. Nate Allen isn't seeing the play until the ball is released and already on the way to the receiver. McDonald's at least more respectable than that. He's going to be able to play cover two um, if they want to keep uh, Jones up high, if they want to drop McDonald in the box and, and keep Jones more in coverage. He could definitely play man coverage. I think that's a big advantage that he has over Nate Allen as well. He's just a better athlete and he's more physical. Um, not necessarily like Cam Chancellor as far as like the talent, but like Cam Chancellor and like, a little bit of like that versatility mold. Um, he'd probably be like 80% of what Cam Chancellor is. And so he's, a, I mean, that's a pretty good player still. And, and that's a position that's kind of similar to slot corner where it's like you don't have too many great safeties, but like when you have a solid one, it really stands out. And he's a guy that to me has always kind of stood out as a solid starter. So they, you know, the, the extension felt a little needless, but it is reflective of his talent in the sense that he's going to be a guy that you wanted to invest into um, if he comes back 100%. And, I mean, it's not like he was injured, but just assuming that he plays at 100% when he gets back. And it kind of fits the MO of what this front office has done in terms of rewarding guys that they believe in and, and that they have had success with here. Even though McDonald was new to the program, obviously they saw something they liked when he came in. Ian, really good stuff, man. I really appreciate it. Um, you guys can find Ian on Bleacher Report. He's an NFL 1000 analyst there at NFL Film Study on Twitter. And uh, really appreciate you coming on, man. We'll have to do it again soon. Hey, it sounds good, man. It was my pleasure. All right, you have a good one, bud. Thanks, you too. Huge thanks to Ian for coming on the show tonight. That was a really, really good interview talking about the Dolphins secondary as well as their quarterback and, and just kind of the team in general. Uh, that's going to do it for tonight's show, guys. Remember to subscribe to the podcast. Check me out on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. 
I will be back Monday for another edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At MetroPCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to MetroPCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.